Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you, Dr. Aiken. Thank you for allowing me to be here. This is an incredibly humbling experience, and I'm glad to be able to share God's Word with you. If you would open up to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. While you're turning there, or turning your device on, I can't believe I preach in a time and place where you can say that. Open your Bibles or turn on your device. But I love it. I love it that God's Word is accessible in lots and lots of ways. I want to introduce you to my family, if that's okay. I've got a picture, and it'll be the only picture that I show, but I think it's the best picture in the world. It's my family. And I will tell you the story of their miracle. At least I think we have one. There they are. That's a really handsome Native American you're looking at right there. (laughs) So feel free to take a screenshot of that if you want to. But that's my wife, Jennifer, an incredible woman of God. In the first five to ten minutes of our conversation together, the first time that I met her, I knew that she loved Jesus more than she would ever love anybody else. And just a woman of God, very powerful, powerful woman of God. Her name's Jennifer. Her name was Jennifer Lowe. I used to tell people I dated J. Lo. It's kind of fun. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter is Hannah. I tell people that she has my mind. She thinks a lot like I think. She's very strategic, very carefully thought. That's how Hannah is. My son is Micah, and he has my heart, my spirit, very tender-hearted, very gentle spirit, and uh, just an awesome young man. And then my little girl, Sarah, she's four years old. So Hannah has my mind, Micah has my heart, Sarah has my appetite. (laughs) And she's a good mix of all of us and is an absolute joy. And I love them with all my heart. And the reason why I share them with you is not just so that you can see a picture of my family that you probably ultimately really don't care about, but I share that with you because they are an absolute miracle of God. And when I share my testimony and share my story with you here in just a minute, you will see and you will understand. Now, let me give you a little bit of a background of where I come from and who I am. I'm 45 years old. I know you're probably thinking probably 30, 32, something like that. But I'm 45 years old. I used to weigh somewhere around 500 pounds. And the Lord has allowed me to win and fight this battle and have lost a lot of weight. I know you're thinking, bro, you still look like you got some work to do. I do. I do. And I'm working on it, but don't change our lunch plans today, Dr. Aiken, because, <laughs> because daddy's taking a break. You know what I mean? And uh, I didn't come to Carolina to starve. You know what I'm saying? I, I know. I know what you guys got here. And today I will be drinking sweet tea. And so I'm Native American. I'm Comanche, Kiowa, and Cherokee. I grew up with my Comanche family. If you know anything about Comanche history, they are considered the lords of the plains, very tough, very warrior-like tribe. I grew up in that environment with my people, my Comanche people. I'm also Kiowa. My last name is Kiowa. I'll tell you more about that here in just a little bit. And I'm half Cherokee. My dad was a full-blood Cherokee man. My, My mom was half Comanche, half Kiowa. And so I grew up in what was unfortunately a difficult and hard environment. 
as Dr. Aiken said, ravaged by alcohol and drug addiction. My mom got her first drink of alcohol when she was a child. She got that first drink from my grandparents, her mom and dad. And so when I tell you that my family is a miracle, you're going to hear that story unfold over and over again throughout this text that we're going to be looking at this morning. They are an absolute miracle. Can we go to God's word this morning? In Psalm 139, I want to start in verse 13. The psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now let that soak in for a second. For you created my inmost being. You, Father God, God Almighty, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now I want you to understand something. Before we go any further in the text, I want you to understand something. I love the word of God. I love it. I don't think you heard me. I said I love the word of God. And I don't love it because I'm supposed to. I don't love it because I'm just, it's because I'm a believer. I don't love it because I'm a preacher. I, I, don't, I don't love it. Listen, I know this is real and I know how it's changed my heart and I know how it's changed my life. I went through every phase that a young man goes through. There was a time in my life where I literally knew everything. And everybody else was wrong. But then I realized after I became a believer, that it was really Charles Spurgeon that knew everything. <laughs> and then I realized that John MacArthur knew everything. Then I was convinced it was Francis Chan. And then, and I could go down a whole list of some of the heroes in my life that I've never met, but there was a time and a place where God broke my heart and he made me realize he knows everything. He really does know everything. And his word isn't just something that we learn. It's not something that we just take in. It is powerful. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. And so when the scripture says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Listen, that is a powerful and significant truth that every single one of us has to remember and hold on to. What that means is, he designed you. What that means is he created you. He designed me. He created me. He made me. And listen, God doesn't do anything by accident. I'm going to try that again. God does not do anything by accident. I don't think you believe me. I said God does not do anything by accident. Now, you may need to hold on to that truth more than any other truth today. I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from, but, but I know mine. And it's significant to me that he created me, that he made me. Listen, my mom was an absolute mess. Got her first drink when she was a child. Grew up learning how to party at a very young age. And listen, she was beautiful. Now, I know looking at me, you can tell she was gorgeous. And she was popular and she was all of those things, but eventually alcohol sunk its teeth into her life. And she became an alcoholic, a full-blown alcoholic. She got pregnant with me when she was a teenager, gave birth to me when she was a teenager. And I was born into a family that was not ready for a child. 
And so I was passed around in my family to basically whoever wanted the welfare check. And I saw things that kids shouldn't have to see, grew up way too fast. My mom was in and out of my life. My dad never spent a significant day in my life. As soon as I was born, he was out of the picture. And so I grew up in this environment and alcohol became drugs and it began to not just infiltrate with my mom, but the entire family. And every statistic that you look at says that because of the environment that I came from, I should follow in those exact footsteps. I should be an alcoholic. I should be a drug addict. There were times growing up, listen to me, when I believed that my life was nothing more than just an accident, the result of two people coming together by chance. In fact, I would tell you that I was even told that I wasn't on purpose. So do you understand the freedom that I have in my soul? When I, when I understand the word of God, when it says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, that God made me, that God took what was happening in my mom's life and he took what was happening in my dad's life and we came together and he created me, he put me together. And listen, what he didn't give me what he didn't put into me, what he didn't just divinely knit me together with, he allowed me to go through in life to shape me and make me who I am. Isn't that good? But he didn't just do that for me. He did it for you too. You see, I was created by him. I was knit together in my mother's womb. And he says this in verse 14, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, I see the beauty of that today. But I, but I didn't before I knew Jesus. I didn't. So I grew up in this family. I go off to college. But what is beautiful about my story is that I had years of Jesus modeled for me. I grew up in Elgin, Oklahoma. You've probably never heard of Elgin, Oklahoma. Home of the mighty owls. Isn't that ferocious? <laughs> Grew up in Elgin, Oklahoma. Not any kind of church experience. But there was a school teacher and her husband. He would later on become one of my football coaches. Now, now this is going to sound a lot like the blind side, but it, it happened to me first. All right. And I wasn't near as good a football player. But these two people sat in a congregation called First Baptist Church of Elgin. And they sat under the preaching of the word. They sat under good Sunday school teachers. They sat under good leadership, people that invested in them. And I guess one day while they were sitting in a pew, God spoke to their heart. And they'd seen me in the school. Beverly Mattingly was actually one of my teachers. So she knew the kind of life that I had. She didn't talk about Jesus. She didn't talk about God at school. But God put me on her heart, and so they, as a family, began to pray for me, began to invest in me. You know what they did? They sent vacation Bible school after me. I was targeted. <laughs> Summer vacation, I mean, we're in the first week, I'm enjoying, I'm sleeping in, and all of a sudden, this big, gigantic school bus shows up just outside my front yard. They tried to hide it. They painted it all kinds of different colors, but I knew it was a school bus. 
And this woman who's about 150 years old walks across our driveway. Now I had done everything that my family taught me how to do when we see a church bus and people getting out of it, you hide. And if you wait long enough, they'll go away. And I hid for what seemed like forever. I was the only one home. And it took her forever, gosh, to get across that driveway. <laughs> and finally she starts knocking on, knocking on that door and she is relentless. She doesn't give up. And so finally I think, I, I just gotta talk to her. And so I go to the door and I say, ma'am, may I help you? And she says, well, son, I would like to invite you to vacation Bible school. I said, I don't want to go to school. And then she got this really sad look on her face. And I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I don't know what we're going to do with all the cookies and Kool-Aid. I said, what? She said, oh, yeah, we've got... We've got cookies like you've never seen. We've got this delicious Kool-Aid. I mean, I'm telling you, it's the sweetest Kool-Aid you've ever had. I just don't know what we're going to do if we don't have any kids to go. I said, well, would that bus come and give me a ride? And she said, every day. I said, well, sign me up. And every day, man, I was ready. I was up early. I couldn't wait for that bus to show up. And that bus showed up. And listen, they took me into a magical wonderland of deliciousness every single day. And listen, we was poor. I didn't say poor. We couldn't afford that O&R at the end. You know what I'm saying? We was poor. <laughs> and so we didn't have cookies. We didn't have Kool-Aid. Man, if we had cookies, it was a white sack that said cookie on it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know about things like Oreos or Rice Krispie treats. Come on now. And I showed up at that church house and they had all that stuff. And man, I loved it. I was living the dream. And then the last day of vacation Bible school, dropped me off. I'm sad. I'm brokenhearted. This is it. This is the end of the rainbow, right? And she says to me, she says, Michael, are you okay? I said, no. She says, what's wrong? No more cookies and Kool-Aid. She goes, you know, we do this every Sunday. What? Every Sunday we have this thing called children's church. And every Sunday we have snacks just like that. I said, will that bus come and get me? And she says, absolutely. And for years that bus came to get me. And they took me to church and listen, I heard the gospel over and over again. I learned about how Jesus lived and how he died, and how he rose again, how he could change your life. He could forgive your sins. I heard that message, but listen, it wasn't until November 1st, 1990, while I was on a college campus at Cameron University, the Baptist Student Union, there was a man preaching. And listen, on that night when he shared the gospel, everything that had been modeled for me for years, listen, that church family, they made sure I had school clothes. They made sure I had school supplies. They made sure that I was able to go on every trip that that all the other kids went on. Man, they took care of me. They loved me. Listen, even housed me sometimes when things were absolutely crazy in my house. And so in that moment, on November 1st, 1990, everything that God had done, everything that he had used, everybody that he had used came to this one moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart, shows me that I'm lost and separated from, and I heard the life-changing gospel. Listen, I was saved. I mean, I was miraculously and gloriously saved under the teaching and the preaching of the word. When he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. It was that first realization 
that I was not an accident. I was very much on purpose, that God had a plan for me, an incredible plan for me. And you know how he showed me? After he saved me, within months, within months, I was a part-time youth pastor at a church. I don't recommend that, but it happened. And so, being a young mind, being a young man, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but we were getting ready for camp in Oklahoma. We go to this place called Falls Creek, and it's a big deal. And so I'm trying to get ready for Falls Creek, and I know that if I'm going to be a good youth pastor, we have to have a really cool t-shirt. And so I go to the best. I find the guy who's the absolute best, a guy named Ed Hoosier, incredible artist, incredible t-shirt. I said, listen, Ed, I need to have, I need to have a shirt, and it's got to be the deal. You know what I mean? And he goes, man, I'll fix you up. So I had several meetings with him. And I remember going into his office one day and this piece of artwork, it's been there the whole time. But it's the first time that I noticed it. I see this beautiful native artwork in the bottom right-hand corner, it says Keybone in the bottom. I said, Ed, why is my name on your painting? He goes, I was wondering when you were gonna ask me about that. He said, did you know we're cousins? I said, well, does that mean I get a discount? I mean, <laughs> that's Comanche way, bro, you know what I mean? And he goes, well, actually, it's on your Kiowa side, so no, no discount. I said, I didn't know we were related. He goes, well, actually, he goes, there's another guy with the last name of Hoosier that paints under that name. He said, I didn't want to be connected to him. And I said, I was researching names in my family tree. He said, and I came across Keybone. He said, I wanted to paint under that name. So I went to your family, the Big Bow family, and I asked to take on this name, went through the naming ceremony, it's a Kiowa way, it's, it's beautiful. And he said, so now I get to paint under that name. He goes, do you know what it means? And I had to be honest. For years, people would ask me what my name was, and I would just make something up. It's like, man, what does your name mean? Strong Buffalo. <laughs> and they'd just be like, oh, wow, you know, so enamored with it, you know. And if it was the ladies, you know, it'd be like, dancing with wolves. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> Just kind of used it, right? And I said, Dad, I, I really have no idea what my name means. I said, I grew up with my Comanche family. I, I don't know. He said, let me tell you the story. He said, there was a chief named Big Bo, a Kiowa chief. Man, he had this reputation for just not being able to die. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what it was that he went through, he would always live. Lots of battles. He would always live. He'd always survive. But there was one day, he and the men went on this hunt, they were ambushed by Spanish soldiers. They were destroyed. He said they, there was only a couple of the men that made it back, but they saw Big Bo die. They went to try to retrieve him. They couldn't even retrieve him, he was, he was dead. And so they came back and they told the people. And so the Kiowa custom is to mourn for three days and then to choose a new leader. And so on that third day of mourning, Chief Big Bo comes walking back into the camp and he's alive. And they changed his name from Big Bo to Kiboda, and Kiboda would mean stronger than death. And he said, and that's what your name is, stronger than death. And I was like, that is way better than strong buffalo. <laughs> and so, man, I was like, wow, that's incredible. A couple of weeks later, I was preaching or sharing my testimony at an Indian youth rally. And I'm sitting there waiting to share my testimony and I hear they're singing these native hymns 
And they're singing this hymn in Kiowa, and I can't understand a word except for one. They keep saying keybone in that hymn. And so I go to one of the elders and I say, hey, I said, I think I'm hearing my, my, my name. And, and you know, I thought I was messing up the lyrics. You know how you listen to songs, like, like my wife, there was a song back in the day called, More Than A Woman. You know, you don't, right? You can Google it. But my wife thought it was bald-headed woman. So it changes the whole meaning, right? So I thought maybe I'm just not hearing this right. And so I asked this elder, I said, do you know what my, what's this, is it my name or not? He said, boy, don't you know what your name means? And so I told him the story that I knew, that I just found out. He said, son, there's more to your story. I said, what's that? He said, when the missionaries came to tell the Kiowa people about Jesus, they didn't have a word in Kiowa to tell them that Jesus had died and come back to life until they came across Kiboda, that meant Jesus was stronger than death. He said, your name, son, is salvation. My frame was not hidden from him when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, his eyes saw my unformed body. And listen to this. All the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. How about that? How about that? I I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you come from, and I don't know what you've been through. But I know this, you're not an accident. I know this, that from the very beginning, When God imagined you, he started creating you. And your circumstances, your circumstances may have been awful. Or your circumstances, your family life may be absolutely wonderful. You may come from a legacy. I had to be a curse breaker. God used me to be a curse breaker in my family. And we started a legacy. So my family is not just miraculous because of the supernatural work of God and breaking a generational sin. But they're an absolute miracle physically. The doctors told my wife and I we wouldn't be able to have children. And we sought the Lord and we begged and I asked, Lord, I'm thankful for being a curse breaker. And I love it. But God, I want a legacy. Lord, I want to raise up a legacy. And so where doctors told us it was impossible, the Lord made it possible. And he gave me a daughter and a son and another daughter. I've gotten to see two of my children come to know the Lord. And I'm praying for little Sarah Gracie that she comes to know the Lord too. And here's what I'm praying. And this is what I I pray for you. And this is what was on my heart and mind for you. I don't know what God's doing with you. I don't know where he's taking you. I don't know what's going on in your life. But it's significant and it's important. In fact, my quiet time this morning comes comes from Acts Listen to what it says in chapter 17. I just want you to listen. Starting in verse 26, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen to this. This is beautiful. And he, this is God, he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. And here's the reason. God did this so that men would seek him, that men would reach out for him, that men would find him. And listen to this, this is the best part to me. 
He is not far from each of us. God has called you to a significant time and place. Folks, I need you to understand something in what you're going into in the battle that's in front of us. We live in a time and a place where we have more churches, more access to God's word, more conferences, more camps, more of all those things than we've ever had. Yet we are more spiritually bankrupt than we have ever been. It is absolutely vital, it is absolutely crucial that you be who God made you to be because everywhere that you go, there are places that you're going to go that I'll never go. There are going to be places that you'll be that I'll never ever be, but he's going to take you. And wherever he takes you and wherever you're at even now, there is lostness all around you. Did you hear that? There's lostness all around you. And God has put it in mankind's heart to seek and to seek and to seek. But God in his divine wisdom and his divine power and that supernatural being that he is has made it so that there are agents of his grace, agents of his love all over the planet to be able to share this wonderful good news that absolutely changed and saved my life. And I have to believe, changed yours too. Isn't God good? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Verse 16 has been so powerful for me. Not just because what it meant for my past, but everything I would go through in my life. It's an incredibly healing and powerful thing to know that God knows every possibility of my life. When he says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, do you understand that means he knows every possibility of our lives based on every combination of decisions that we could ever make and based on the decisions of everyone around us. It's this intricate, beautiful picture of God being in control. My wife, who I love with all my heart, as we're walking through this new way of eating and lifestyle change and all that stuff, she has become a bit of a policeman in my life. And sometimes I like it, and sometimes I don't like it. Well, that's a lie, I don't like it. <laughs> in fact, I'll give you an example. We were going to a wedding, and in Oklahoma, there's this place called Okarchi, Oklahoma. And in Okarchi, Oklahoma, it's famous for one thing and one thing alone. It's a restaurant called Aishan's. And Aishan's makes the very best fried chicken I've ever put in my mouth. And it's known across the country for having the best fried chicken. And so I knew at this wedding that I was going to in Okarchi that the people who own Aishan's 
go to this church and they were providing the wedding feast. And I was prepared. I knew I could not partake. And I had weeks to prepare myself that I would not eat that chicken. We show up at the wedding and I'm telling you, man, I, I came to the hoop strong until I smelt it. Did I say smelt? That's what I did. I smelt it, right? And when that aroma, oh man, oh, I started to get weak in the knees. It was sort of like shark week. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of feeling that. But because I was prepared, I fought it off. I fought, I didn't have a single bite of chicken. Went through, was feeling good about myself. We had another place that we had to go. And so I was like, all right, let's hurry up. Let's load up. Let's get out of here because daddy's getting weak. And so I'm loading up the kids and my wife says to me, she goes, sweetheart, the kids are not going to be happy if we don't get wedding cake. I wasn't prepared for wedding cake. I love wedding cake. And this particular wedding cake had that butter, oh, come on, buttercream. And I hadn't, hadn't prepared myself. And I was like, no, Jim, we can't have that, that, that wedding cake. And I said, well, will you give me a piece? She comes back out to the vehicle. She's got a piece of cake for all the kids, none for us. Where's that, where that other piece? We, we, we can't have that. So I began to pray. Lord, if you want me to have good things, you know, this is sort of my situational Calvinism coming out right here. God, if, if you want me to have a piece of that cake, would you let one of my kids not finish theirs? And uh, I mean, just as I had uttered that prayer, my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Says, Mom, this frosting is too sweet. I don't want the rest of it. <laughs> Man, praise God. <laughs> and so he hands the cake to my wife, who now holds this prized possession in her hand. And I said, babe, I just, I don't want the whole thing. I said, just let me have a little bite of that. She said, no. <laughs> what? She said, no, I'm not gonna let you have this cake. She said, I will throw it out the window. She won't do that. You know why? Because my wife is a rule follower. We've been married for 14 years, be 15 years this year. And listen, she will not litter. She won't do it. She's a rule follower. She, I've, I've never seen her litter, so I'm gonna call her bluff. Jen, I know you're not gonna throw that out the window. Just give me a piece, just that, just that. she want one bite. She goes, no, you cannot have this. I said, Jen, come on, give me. All right, now it's getting real. <laughs> I need a bite of that cake. She goes, foo. <laughs> I almost wrecked the car. I said, what? doing? I just wanted a bite. I look back and Hannah's got her piece of cake. And she said, dad. I said, are you done with that? She said, yes. I said, here, I just want a bite. And she goes, Zzz. I'm not, what is wrong with you people? 
I look in my rearview mirror at Sarah. I told you she's got my appetite. There's no cake to be there. And because she sees the desperateness, the desperation in my face, she licks the frosting that was left on her lips. There were birds that got cake that day, but I did not. I was so angry. I was so mad. I was mad for 45 minutes. I was driving mad. I was giving mad looks. And every time I tried to get a little more mad, the truth started coming out. I wanted something that wasn't good for me. I needed, I needed what she did for me. And I say that to you to say this. I don't know what your circumstances are, but I do know God's in control of them. That's what his word teaches us. Amen? And sometimes there are things that we desperately want, things that we desperately desire. But he knows better. And we got to trust him, even if it doesn't feel good. Let me pray for us. Father God, I love you. I do. I'm so thankful for your word, the power of it. Thank you for how it's changed my life and Lord, my prayer, every life here. Every one of these people made on purpose. by you for your glory. And Lord, in their salvation and their calling and whatever it is that has brought them to this place, God, the enemy will always try to steal your glory. He'll always try to steal their story. But God, that story is yours. That testimony is yours. And God, I pray that you would use every story, every testimony, every calling in this, in this place, even those that are watching. Use those stories to be a mighty and powerful weapon in your hand against darkness. That lostness would not prevail. Only salvation. Only your purpose, your plan, your way. Lord, I'm so thankful for this institution thankful for these students and what you're doing with them and Lord I pray your blessing on them and I pray your encouragement on them when things get hard and difficult that God they would know you are near very near to them always it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray and God may you continue to use this place as a launch pad of ministry in Jesus name amen thank you very much Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at 
www.secbts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.